I think 90% of my life is uh, is derived from uh, being frustrated that I couldn't be an astronaut or that I didn't pull myself together enough to do something in aerospace so I had to settle for the sea. Actually many people that worked for me had wanted to be in aerospace but ended up in marine. But we always tell people in my day-to-day -day business, you know, we make underwater spaceships, which is much harder. Welcome to the Uncharted Podcast. I'm Martin. In this episode, we're talking about the origins of the Mayflower Autonomous Ship, the new fully autonomous trimaran that was recently launched in Plymouth, England. This new generation Mayflower is designed to deepen our understanding of critical issues such as global warming, ocean plastic pollution and marine mammal conservation. This conversation is less about what the ship is and more about why it was created and where the idea came from. We also got into themes of what it takes to innovate within the understandably risk-averse maritime industry. I'm joined by Brett Fanoff, the Managing Director of MSubs, which is the company that built the ship, and by another of the people who have been steering this project since the beginning, Eric Aquaron, a hardware system strategist from IBM. Let's get into it. Okay, welcome everybody. Thank you so much for being a part of this conversation. I am going to start first of all by asking you both to introduce yourselves. So if you would go first, please, Brett. Hi, I'm Brett Faniff. I am the director of the Mayflower Autonomous Ship Project. Thank you so much and very much the theme of this conversation. Eric. Hi, I'm Eric. Uh, I'm part of the systems group in IBM and I'm helping Brett use IBM technologies for the Mayflower. Perfect. Thank you so much. And as Brett mentioned, we are talking about the Mayflower Autonomous Ship today. But one of the themes we're going to be talking about is about collaboration and how that affects uh, innovation in the maritime space. So the first thing I want to talk about on that collaboration theme is how you both met, because you've been working together for some time. Can you tell me, Eric, do you want to tell me how you first met Brett? Uh, yeah, sure. Well, I met the person that Brett commissioned to design the ship a long time ago in 2016 in Switzerland. And uh, the ship was really nice. And I asked, you know, how do you make it run? And the guy told me, well, you know, I have no clue, but a guy named Brett Panev knows it and we'll connect you together. So this is how I, I spoke to you, Brett, for the first time, right? Yeah, that's right, actually. It was, I think you had been to a conference and there had been a presentation on it and you got connected to me and found out that uh, I was going to then depend on you to help me make it all work. And were you and were you looking for for partners at that point? The project had started, and you were looking for technology partners, or was it just a, a kind of a, a conversation and one thing led to another? Oh well, we were always looking for technology partners. Early days in the Mayflower um, project, I had said to the my CTO that I needed uh, I needed him to build me a Captain Watson uh, because I'd grown up sort of, sort of watching. Uh, the Watson team develop uh, ever more powerful AI. And I thought that that's the kind of thing we need, but we need it on our ship to take it across the sea. Right. Did you see Watson on um, Jeopardy? Yeah, we did. We saw. I saw it on Jeopardy, and I remember watching, uh, I think, the precursor uh, to Watson uh, beat uh, various chess masters. Of course. That, yeah, it was fascinating. So we'll come back to a little bit more about collaboration later. I think what you touched on there is about how the ideas of the Mayflower Autonomous Ship started. I just want to explore that a little bit about where something like that comes from. Ships as a technology are, it's it's an ancient technology. I mean, if you go back to hollowed out canoes, I mean, they date back to what, 5,000 years BC? Well, much earlier than that. Well, well, okay. So are we going through another leap in innovation in terms of the history of maritime transport, do you think now? Yeah, I suppose we are. I mean, you know, there have been a few 
So, you know, of course, early early vessels are probably rafts, right? Logs or reeds or other things like that. And weirdly, those sorts of things are still in use because uh, they work and they're simple and cheap. But then, um, you know, through the millennia, uh, sort of with the Egyptians, the Greeks, the Romans and others, we saw the development of um, sort of wood-based building. And early boats were sort of built with the outer shell first. And then, you know, as the technology advanced, you saw sort of the, the improvement in various types of sails so they could sail faster. You saw all sorts of developments like that sort of in wood. And then the next big technological advancement was the advent of, a, of power, right? So steam power, but coupled also with uh, almost right around the same time, uh, metal shells, so metal ships being built, right? iron, and then uh, ultimately steel, and now steel and aluminum and composite. Slowly, we sort of had made increasing advancement in terms of power and propulsion and efficiency and acoustics and control and navigation. And there's, you know, really all through history, ships have been at the absolute leading edge of technological development because they were required for commerce and for moving people around. So ships were right at the literal forefront of technology. And it's, it's no surprise that, again, with Mayflower and the advent of AI uh, sort of captaining a ship that is all happening on ships. They've always been in the forefront. And Eric, what have been the what's what have been the technology milestones that we have we have gone past recently that have allowed us to do an autonomous ship now and say not 10 years ago, 20 years ago. Uh, I think that um, we have now enough AI technologies. I'm talking different AI types. And we call the Mayflower system a hybrid AI system. You can have a, from the image down to the rules at sea and down to explain exactly how you optimize and make your decision. You can have this put all together as one system. And, uh, and for sure, at the same time, we have now the capability to, to put it in a ship like, you know, with the hardware. That's also an improvement. But, uh, you know, AI had a winter a long time ago. Uh, then there was the advent of the deep learning, and now we are assembling all those technologies. I mean, we are we are providing those technologies, and Brett's team is assembling them, and has a fully explainable AI system. And that's uh, I think that's uh, that's a first. It's AI going out of the labs, if you want, into more complex and more elaborate system that can actually be doing some useful tasks for normal people. Is the idea of hybrid AI? Is that when you say a hybrid? I mean, is that is that essentially that we've 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 had to replace an entire crew? which is a lot of individual, very highly skilled people, are they, they are all now essentially replaced by technology systems. And is, is that what comes together to, this, to, to create this hybrid AI? Is that, is that this? Because I know, you have, I know there is a high, there's, a, there's an AI captain on board, isn't there? Yeah, that's, that's a nickname for it. I wouldn't say the way you say it. I would say that uh, there are, since uh, 30 years, a bunch of AI technology that were invented. And we are the stage now where we can actually assemble them together at one si- as one system, integrated. And that's, that's uh, in my opinion, what's going to make a big change. And, uh, and that ship is going to, when people see what it's capable of doing, it's going to change an industry. So the beginnings of this project, was there always this sense that eventually there was going to be something that made use of the of the technology that was around and the Mayflower project came along and it was like the perfect scenario to now properly put theory into practice. Was the origins of the Mayflower autonomous ship, was it an autonomous ship from its conception or was it something else? No, no, it was always an autonomous ship from conception. Um, when we first started discussing it, we were meeting with the city of Plymouth in the UK and 
you know, they were thinking about, should we build a replica of the original? And well, you know, there already is one uh, in Massachusetts. I grew up not too far from it and remember seeing it as a kid. And so we said, you know, we should really focus on speaking to the next 400 years of the maritime enterprise and be sort of inspired by what the pilgrims did. And so for me, the the inspiration is in that risk to jump off into some new beginning. So we're, we're, we, we seek our inspiration there, but we were talking about the future and we were always considering it autonomous. What autonomous actually means, that's an interesting question within industry. It's uh, and within research, I mean, there's a huge debate about how many you know slices of bread you can cut up that loaf into, right? So, um, for us, we're trying to do the right out, far out, I guess, level six they call it, but I'd say we're beyond that, right out on the edge, sort of machine learning AI systems that can operate with no human input. Now, yeah, you you make a point that the the, the AI captain, so to speak, is operating this vessel, but what it isn't doing is maintenance on the vessel. And that's what most concerns me, right? Is something's going to break and it doesn't have a pair of hands to fix it, right? So we have to do right. uh, build in a lot of redundancy, but still there are some single point failures in there. So there's a lot of risk involved in this. And I'm not particularly worried about the AI system. I'm more worried about sort of stupid things that break, you know, a bolt, you know, comes loose or the basics. A, a rope and a prop. Yeah, those things are hard to get away from. And yeah, at yeah. least with a man vessel, you can deal with it on the fly. Yeah, a bit of gaffer tape and you're away. Exactly. But I, I think more about AI in terms of augmented intelligence. So the nice thing about the software that we're, we're developing or the AI captain that we're developing is that it can be deployed on manned vessels alike. And so you can have it running sort of in the background, looking at all the sensors at the radar, at the cameras, and it can be giving advice to the human crew because there's sort of this odd misconception about how people behave at sea. And it's a very conservative industry for good reason. We've lost many lives at sea. But it's very conservative, and we have a, a significant body of rules that describe how ships are made and how ships are operated. And those rules exist because we've been largely unsafe for millennia, literally millennia, right? So we're getting safer and safer, and every time we discover someplace where we're deficient, we add a rule, right? We make a rule. Um, AI systems aren't immune from the fact that there'll be incidents, accidents, mistakes made. Um, but what they don't do is get tired or bored or distracted Right. They, they, they don't worry about a lot of the things people do. In fact, they don't worry at all. They just do their job. And so using them both uh, independently for vessels of research, such as we were contemplating with the Mayflower Autonomous Ship, but also with manned vessels, you know, hopefully they can augment the safe operation of manned vessels. And what we're seeing now is an increasingly minimally manned vessel. And we're going to rely more and more on automation. And then that automation is going to have to be uh, sort of controlled and orchestrated with an AI system. And really it's about augmenting people's capability to execute a task and freeing up that creative part of a person that's really valuable that an AI can't do and probably never will to be a better human, if that makes any sense. And in this case, be a safer human. And uh, we should be in the process creating new jobs and new opportunities that are uh, perhaps better paid and uh, maybe not less arduous, but more intellectually arduous, but also should be satisfying and fulfilling as well. All right. So we're trying to, in the in the process of making AI captains, we're trying to also make better people. Uh, I was thinking about airplanes, and you know, as they became more modern and complex, you couldn't fly them with a human being, and you had to put some uh, software between you and the plane to actually make it fly. And uh, if you put the AI captain and you just remove the piece that controlled the, the, the ship, 
but you you, know, you kind of talk to the to the team on board to the captain or or you display it you can actually uh, you know tell them you know you want to go there but you know this is what i recommend or what you should do and then they can always say yeah i like it or no i don't believe it yeah, so it's an interesting theme there, isn't it? You're taking us beyond the capabilities of a human being rather than just straight up replacing us. Yeah. It's actually mm-hmm. it's enhancing our capabilities. You mentioned inspiration earlier, and I'm kind of I'm kind of curious about how you think about this as as the team of creators of this of this. I mean, it's a pioneering pioneering vehicle. I don't know whether you think of it like that, but it certainly seems that way from the outside. I'm curious about if you think about in in terms of inspiration and vision because there's Historically, ships are much more than vehicles to transport people and goods. They are symbols. They represent more than the sort of the sum of their parts. The Mayflower itself, the original Mayflower, was a symbol. It was originally a way to get from one country to another, but it's come to represent so much more. And you think about flagships and fleets. Have you been allowed to think about the Mayflower autonomous ship in those terms? Well, it's funny. I was talking to somebody about this ship the other day, and they were were quizzing me on um, AI. But it's hard to describe what it does without using words that anthropomorphize it. And and I I was complaining to the interviewer that um, people have a tendency to anthropomorphize these things. And she pointed out, she said, well, that's interesting. You just referred to the ship as she. And it hadn't even occurred to me that I had, right? So it's a convention in maritime world to to name and to refer to a ship as as female. But I, I really do kind of think of it as a person, I guess. And, um, you know, I named my first car. I named, you know, my first motorcycle had a name. You know, I don't know. It's something about people. We do that. Um, mm. And we're certainly doing that with this. At least I am. You know, I kind of worry about it. I, I mean, I know nothing bad's going to happen because it's just <laughs> electrons and money that won't go to sea. And we're willing to t- put it at risk to lose it. But I, I, I also, I don't know. Yeah, I do think about it. In, 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 I guess, funny terms. I don't know if Eric does. I think about it sort of as a person. And, I don't think I, I am looking at the ship as a person, honestly. But uh, Then you're heartless. Maybe. And, you know, and my view of AI is a very much software guy point of view. You know, AI does what you teach the AI to do. So this is not going to become a monster. Well, you know, I feel the same way about my kids that they, you know, that they're supposed to do what I teach them to do, but that rarely happens these days. So I don't know. I'm hoping the AI behaves better than my son and daughter. But no, I, mean, they're not. I, I, I think it more like, um, you know, uh, in the beginning, when I was meeting Brett, some people were telling me, who are those crazy Brits with this Canadian doing that ship? You know, do they know what they're doing? Honestly, I've seen a big change. Because uh, I think since people have seen the symbol, I mean, the piece of metal that is the boat, and it's not been in the ocean already, but it is there, I see people coming to call it a symbol. You know, this is happening. So it's like, you know, yeah, it's really there. It's like, you know, when the space shuttle was shown for the first time, people saw that's going to fly now. People have realized it's going to sail and something is going to happen. And they're watching. Uh, that's, That's a big change I saw. How would you like people to en- how would you like people to engage with it because it's getting it represents so much more than the technology on on, on board it's getting a lot of attention and press it it does attract the attention of people outside of um, outside of the maritime industry the technology industry its mission is related to marine conservation to climate change which of those themes do you do you really want people to um, take and run with the, the project's interesting because it's a purely research-driven program from the hybrid drive 
to the the AI systems that operate the ship, uh, to the advanced communication, you know, near Earth orbiting satellite communications, to the web portal that parses the data out to people and makes it available freely, and the the chatbot, the little Artie, the little octopus that will tell you all sorts of things about the ship, you know, septopus, pardon me, that's right, he's a seven-legged octopus, (laughs) the the little septopus that can sit there and tell you all sorts of things about the ship and sort of guide you to further resource about things that interest you. So, I mean, you know, and then there's people interested in just the, the, you know, the advent of technology or, uh, you, you know, exploration on the whole. And so this explores many different themes about the future of work and the place of AI and machine learning and the future of the planet through climatology and, you know, all these different things. So it's, I guess there's a million ways to connect with it, which, and people keep finding new ones, which surprises me. And I I keep trying to keep, uh, I keep trying to focus my mind on just, uh, just don't sink, don't get stuck and break down somewhere and, uh, you know, get all the resource we need with the help of our team and with IBM in particular so that the, the AI captain functions safely at sea, you know. So I, I don't think I'll actually relax at all until the thing goes out and crosses the ocean and parks up in Plymouth, Massachusetts, and then the, then the drinking will begin. And that's 200 days from the yeah, about 200 the days day from that, now yeah. from from the day we're recording. So that's uh, that's at least 200 sleeps you're not going to get. Yeah, I'm a little tense. So my yeah, mind. understandable. Yeah, but I mean, so you know, Artie, Artie the Septopus is has been created. I mean, that's clearly aimed at aimed at kids. I mean, in thinking about this initially, was what was motivating you the most? Was it was it the need to engage the next generation because the next generation has got a lot to face, and so, so far as the the planet goes you know ibm is now involved in the ocean decade initiative were these themes in your head or was it was it purely a a sort of a fascination a sort of an engineering uh challenge to overcome that sort of excited you the most well i think all you know maybe i'm maybe it's just me but i think all these things start out with a little bit of selfishness right so you know it, it, it's what interested me and i happen to run a company that has substantial capability in this area and then we were lucky enough to meet an incredibly generous group of people at IBM who had even more capability and wanted to help. So I think it starts off, maybe it's a little bit, I wouldn't say myopic, maybe it's a little bit, it's a bit of a luxury, right? But then at the same, I don't know, it's a complicated question because it isn't, right? We have to push these things forward. We have to be able to do research just for the sake of doing it, right? So I enjoy that, right? I enjoy the I don't know if that's going to work. We should build one and send it out across the ocean and see what happens, right? But then it's so interesting to deal with the regulatory framework who, you know, they don't know what to do with these things, but they're being very helpful now that they're well engaged because they have a real project. As Eric said, it's not just a website. It's a thing. It's a real thing. It's going to happen. So now they're really engaged. Well, what does it mean to jobs? Well, there's lots of opinions about that. People don't know. Right. So we I like that it pushes on a lot of these funny little soft spots in the way we think about our world. And all these questions are going to get answered for better, or for worse in the very near future and perhaps better to be engaged within it. But I think the genesis idea, the start of it I, for me is, you know, I'm not I don't think I'm an overly altruistic person. I think the project is altruistic. But for me, it's a little bit uh, I don't have a better word. Selfishness. Right. I, mm-hmm. I just want to see if we can. I mean, they say that all, all leaps forward and innovation have not been eureka moments. They've been more, I wonder what happens if I push that. 
and hope it doesn't end in a bang. Yeah, well, Martin, you know, this is more than just pushing the button. I would call Brett a very um, capable person, being very focused for a very long term time, a very long time. That's, you know, this is, um, uh, you could call him a maniac about doing this because think about it. He spoke about it in 2016. Yeah. Um, you know, when I look at my time scales in this wonderful company I work for, we are maniacally focused about the quarter. So think about uh, launching something that's going to end up in four years, five years. This is a challenge. Yeah, there's so much short ter- short termism is, is is just a basic problem in general across, yeah, if not the world, and certainly in business, as you say, thinking quarter to quarter, as opposed to, I've got this idea. We're not going to see it launch until you know. 2020 which is the 400th anniversary of the original mayflower crossing i want to pick up on some of the themes about collaboration because at at what point what point did ibm officially become involved in the project was it 2016 yeah yeah it's late 2016 because uh, i met the architect in june in uh, switzerland and um, you know it's like you have to establish some trust if you're going to invest into something so and we met and uh, started discussing about the project and what made me um, think immediately this was going to do something is that instead of looking at uh, I fix every problem immediately tomorrow, Brett told me, okay, the first sense of the captain is the vision. Can you help me fix the vision to start with? The computer uh, vision. Yeah, the computer vision. Yeah. So, you know, see, uh, define what's in front of you. And uh, if you look at the way we've worked with, I mean, Brett's team, Don, and, and uh, the other people in the team, we went from uh, you know fixing practical needs from the vision to the, you know how to apply the rules and be able to explain what decision you decision you're taking to optimizing with the weather to optimizing in a fleet of ships um, this was uh, not a, as you described martin a, a kit that was ready that we applied to a ship but uh, i would put it clearly in the category of we we work together and this is a you know, co-creation type of discussion. You know, when Brett and team was were having uh, something that was complex, we looked. You know, is there something we could help you with? So it, it's a uh, it's real team play, Martin. This is not like uh, one crazy mind in a in a shop. It's a uh, it's a lot of connection and a gradual uh, creation of something that's unique now and that's gonna. I, I tell you, it's gonna change a lot of things. So what you're telling me is, when I think of Brett as like Tony Stark on his own with a hammer banging out the iron man so it's, it's no, a big team of a big team of people <laughs> come on i have a team of extremely talented engineers and designers and fabricators and machinists and software engineers i mean i i just i go you know what we should do we should build an autonomous ship and then that's about it that's the end of my my job i just provide uh, a, a, a very brief moment of uh, hey let's do this kind of vision and it's it's the rest of the people and the good people at IBM that um, for some inexplicable reason find that compelling and then do it I just get to talk about it now I'm starting to think so. that you have something like the gurus you know you gurued me and many people and we're just following you like I master <laughs> <laughs> well you know you should start to worry if I build a if I build a large estate and then invite you to live there to continue to work together, uh, advancing AI, you should start to worry. I mean, I was if, going to ask about next next steps, but you've just answered you've just answered that answered that question. If I send you sort of an orange jumpsuit that you're required to wear with a certain type of sneakers, you should start to worry. 
But I don't plan to do. Well, I don't know that I don't plan to. I don't plan yet to do that. Yeah, but let's make it blue. Yeah. It's a slippery, blue. slippery, slippery. Yeah, slope. make it. I, exactly, it's a slippery slope. What talking about talking about the kind of the problem solving when you started this? How much of it was stuff that you that needed to be discovered that you just didn't know, and we're going to have to sit down and figure it out? But you've got a high degree of confidence that you're going to overcome that problem. Because the reason I ask, I think most. If you're business focused, the appetite for that sort of thing that doesn't definitely have a return for a lot of people is not something that people want to progress. And I think that's what inhibits innovation. When you first come up with this, how much of it was, hmm, I don't know how we're going to do that? I think they had no clue. Yeah, I mean, the AI side, no. The the build a vessel, we're really good at that. The automation side, we're we're, we're masters at that. We've been building marine vessels and automated vessels for a long time. Making those vessels sort of AI-enabled so that they have some of their, I guess for lack of a better word, agency and kind of dynamically replan their their missions and respond to stimuli and not need a human sitting there sort of with a connection grabbed onto a joystick, you know, avoiding things that it might hit you know no we had no clue so so break that down for me so you said there's a difference there you said you already had automated ships but the difference now is the fact that it can think and course correct so by automated do you mean as in you plot you literally plot on a map where it's 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 going to go yeah it's a robot right? right so you can give it a set of very complex instructions and it'll execute them into somebody who doesn't really understand who is sort of the un, uninitiated observer might look at it and go, oh, wow, that's amazing. That's pretty, but it, it, it's fully predictable. Um, and it's when it doesn't behave as predicted that it stops working because, you know, you have sort of watchdog systems that go, oh, no, that's wrong. We're supposed to turn left. We turn right. Stop. Right. And that we've been doing that for a long time. And what most people don't realize is the amount of automation in their day-to-day life is extreme. I mean, traffic systems, right? It's all automated. Nobody's sitting there pushing buttons somewhere, turning red lights green and green lights red or nothing like that. You know, train systems, all our transportation systems, hell, aircraft are 99% of the time you're in an airplane, it's being flown by an automation system, right? An autopilot, which is a robot, right? Of some sort, right? A pilot rarely touches the stick anymore at all. People don't think about it, right? Because they're comfortable giving their trust to a person, but maybe not a system. But in reality, that's what they do. All sorts of things, submarines that are manned and then both manned and unmanned, and then some unmanned vessels that would be on the surface. But they just do as they're told in real time. They can hold a course, you know, that sort of thing. They can go from point to point, no problem. But they don't get to change the way they behave. They don't get to identify an obstacle, determine what it is, what its relative bearing is, what its intent might be, and then how to plot a course in and amongst those things to remain safe and at the same time coping with the environment. So there's weather, wind, current, waves, you name it, and figuring out and understanding all that real time. And then even when it detects something with one of its myriad sensors saying, oh, that's interesting, that's unusual, right? I haven't seen that before. And being able to address the the cloud at some point in the future and say, mm, that is new information and choose to divert its mission to chase that data because its humans might be interested, right? Like that's a big step beyond, right? So when you get into what they call emergent or unpredictable behaviors and with fully automated system or full autonomy as opposed to automation, you know, yeah, we know nothing about that. And, and to be honest with you, not a lot of people do. And we're getting a, an, an education par excellence from, from IBM 
and I think they're learning a lot about the the problems too because you know the foundations for this technology were laid decades ago philosophically right sort of math problems and logics problems and it's only now that the technology to actually deploy algorithms and theoretical theoretical uh, constructs on uh, edge computing devices or that the compute power is so good at the edge that you could ever do it so for IBM, they're learning a lot about the practical deployment of these things. And so, so Eric, is that um, what's your perspective on that? Yeah, general AI, like you have in the movies, keep it in the movie because you know it will be in the movies for a long time. Uh, AI is uh, is very specialized, and I think that uh, the Mayflower is one step toward uh, a specialized AI because it can do those much more elaborated things. But you know, this is far, far away from. Uh, a brain, and uh, when you read that, you know they're going to build a system with the same number of neurons as in a in a somebody's brain. Okay, that's interesting. It's not going to do anything. It's just a pure concept. So yeah, uh, this is. Uh, but this is getting much smarter. So what it should be called the Mayflower AI ship and not the Mayflower autonomous ship. Then less catchy. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, damn it, we've named it. Uh, <laughs> so, a new name. Well, there you go. Wipe the gin off. Well, why did you call it Mayflower, Brett? You know, and you should call it Archie. Yes. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. What is? How does it connect? To, uh, other than the name, how how much does it kind of connect to the to the legacy of the of the Mayflower? Does is it? Would you say it's in the same lineage as the original Mayflower? For me, it's it's about the inspiration, right? This new beginnings, and you know, I, I think the thing we have most in common with them is that un, uh, just like the pilgrims, we're not sure if we're going to make it either, but we're willing to take the risk. And of course, our risks are uh, infinitesimal by comparison to the risks that those people took at that time. And, and Martin, something you have to keep in mind is that when they went to Americas, this was a risky trip. You know, the Mayflower, the, the one done by Brett, this is going to be an interesting trip also. This is not going to be a piece of cake. So, Eric, talk to me about when you first approached this project. Um, what was the team that you needed to put together, and how did you how did you take it to IBM as a business to propose this as a project so to get involved I, in? I'm, in my job for strategy, I'm also having the the luxury to work on projects to implement the new technologies. So, this is a very nice uh, spot for me because I'm very I'm the typical engineer, <laughs> very curious. And so when I found the, that project, uh, I actually initially met some internal resistance because some people were like, you know, is this serious? You know, who are those crazy guys? And um, actually, uh, when I explained everybody inside IBM, at least the first people in the vision team, when I explained them, you know, exactly what Brett just said, you know, those guys have been doing submarines for 20 years. They have all the robotics and the physics in hand, so they know to do it perfect. They just need a top brain layer. And we start just by the vision. Then I got people to help me immediately. And they were also very interested. So Martin, I have to admit that I, I more or less you know, sold it inside to the technical guys and uh, found the right technical guys. And then they were like hooked, like on drugs, mm. wanting to help Brett. What was it like? working together what were those early meetings like was it you getting together was it brainstorming did you put out like sort of different teams who focused on different things um how did you how did you structure all of these people and all these problems that you needed to deal with this was like big brainstormings first we we met and i think we got to a level of uh, trust 
and then we took one problem after each other and uh, internally you know I tried to find the, the right skills to help and you know the engineers in IBM are like every engineer if you come to somebody you say you know I have a problem I think it's a complex problem I'm not even sure you're going to be able to fix it it's very hard you know maybe we should just like let it go there's a good chance he's going to say oh show that to me I'm going to fix it and they get mad about it and they fix it so I think that uh, you know the way we were able to actually uh, redefine the use of a banking system software for the the rule sets for the ship is uh, relatively creative I would say I'm curious also about how IBM has structured a business to deal with these sorts of things because I think we know you know everyone talks about Google right and they have their 20% time and it seems that all of their engineers are just sort of sitting around waiting to just sort of fiddle around with sort of um, big futuristic sort of moonshot type things how does it work at IBM do you have did you take people off of existing projects did you hire in or do you just have people who work in this sort of broad innovation space who are assigned to projects that may or may not go anywhere how, how does it work you're going to be very surprised we run a daily business of you know we sell stuff that's uh, and we create new products and in the development you have teams, to make money i think is what you're saying there huh? yeah we make money and we don't have like an infinite pool of money coming from advertisement like uh, <laughs> google has nevertheless uh, they have uh, some time and uh, mostly on that project a lot of people did start on the weekends they were very interested so they could get some time for their their manager. So yes, I had to go to some management level and say, you know, I really need help. This is very useful. This is going to be a game changer project. And I have checked that those guys are highly serious guys. They're going to deliver it. So, you know, once you build some credibility uh, internally, then you get this you know, authorized flexibility on the development team and they can do stuff. And I want to actually ask how this aligns with IBM's overall mission, because this project started on your previous CEO and the mission, as I understood it, I really love the phrase cognitive is the new digital, which was very AI driven, but it's it. But, but now IBM is very cloud computer driven. Do, do these things need to align to the overall mission? Uh, they actually do align very well because when you look at the ship, it's leveraging a lot of cloud technologies. I mean, the edge technology is an extension of the cloud technologies. So this is using Red Hat, OpenShift, and all the stuff that is right now in the focus in IBM. So and AI is just you know an application on it, on top of it. So it's actually very very much aligned. Perfect. So it's got a perfect case study. I have heard it called the you know a case study for edge computing. And we didn't plan for it. They're just like we, uh, it's. Um, I think it's just uh, that's what's needed for a ship. You need to be able to manage a, a complete hybrid cloud solution with software everywhere, and this has to deliver something. It could be. Uh, you know, Brett could go to space business, and maybe we could do something together. Also, there we go, Brett. Yeah, Brett, go. Brett is going to make rockets. I'm ready. I'll make rockets. Why not? No, we've talked about it. I think 90% of my life is uh, is derived from uh, being frustrated that I couldn't be an astronaut or that I didn't pull myself together enough to do something in aerospace, so I had to settle for the sea. But we always tell people in my day-to-day business, you know, we make underwater spaceships, which is much harder. So why not make spaceships spaceships? So that's next, Eric. Me and you, 
on we the do moon. have a we do have an episode of this podcast coming up where we are talking for people from um, different space agencies as well as uh, marine exploration and kind of comparing comparing the two it's it's the vertical isn't it you either go vertically up or vertically down but as you said everyone says that <laughs> weirdly you can go a lot further yeah, up yeah, than you but, can go down but that da- but uh. <laughs> down is almost completely unexplored at this point right we don't we know so little about yeah, our own planet yeah exactly i mean yeah. submarine submarines barely penetrate exactly. the depths unless you're going really really deep you're you're absolutely right and that that's sort of part of the the, the mission of the mayflower really is the cr- critical mission is that most of the data we do have is biased to where the commercial shipping routes are there's vast areas of the ocean unexplored and we can't afford as a society to keep building giant 50 100 million dollar research vessels and uh, even if we did we'd never have enough of them but at the same time we can't afford to ignore it so we're going to have to go out and to do that we need ai and we need automated and autonomous and uh, AI driven ships, all different kinds of things, um, very complex networks. And those things have to work in concert with space-based research, right? Because a massive amount of climatology and planet science, planetary science, oceanographic work, we believe it or not, is done from space. And so integrating all those things and creating, you know, an, an unimaginable amount of data will require AI just to reduce that to actionable information. So it's, uh, it's quite interesting, right? So it's yeah, it's that that's at the heart of what we got to do is we need more data, so we get better information to make informed decisions. So it wouldn't be a podcast in twenty twenty if we didn't talk about COVID. Um, twenty sixteen, nobody had any idea that this was coming, and as if the project wasn't difficult enough, how much has it affected the project for good and for bad? It set us back a bit, but um, it's also underscored, you know, sort of fragility in the way our world is structured. Uh, you know, and the dependence upon people for the movement of goods and services and critical goods and services. I mean, it's, it is what it is, but maybe there's a role for a smarter, smarter automation, better autonomy or real yeah. autonomy. It almost proves it out, doesn't it? Eric, from the IBM perspective, you know, the themes we're talking about today have been around innovation and collaboration. There's There's something about being in a room with someone if you're trying to solve problems, come up with ideas... Have you seen that change? Do you think it's affected it? Do you think we're in a kind of a better position that we can all work I from think home? Everybody's tried to use tons of tools to to cater with the the lack of meeting the people. Like I think you can do quite some things when you know the people you're dealing with. Uh, I don't think you can replace the human contact at all. I I think that uh, establishing trust doesn't happen over a video call. Unfortunately, it has to be done in person. So you have to put some of your blood in the in the basket if you want to do real business. So you have to go see the animal. Yep, totally agree. I'm a firm believer. Once you know people, you can use all the technology. And, you know, Brett CTO is in Canada, so we don't meet really often. But we speak very often. And uh, uh, because we know each other, we can do stuff over a video call that we could do in the same room. But without knowing the person it's hard, hard to do so we're getting to some final questions because we've been we're running out of time um what's the long-term vision for mayflower autonomous ship oh well she's going to stay around a while we're going to be able to keep her going after we go across once we'll come back we're going to go up to the arctic uh, we're thinking perhaps about a global circumnavigation fully unmanned you know autonomous sort of circumnavigation collecting data working with new partners, testing new power, propulsion, 
oceanographic, uh, meteorological, climatological sensors, uh, new AI algorithms, new communication protocols. So we intend to continue to use her as a, as a test platform for, for many, many years into the future. Uh, and then hopefully she'll inspire uh, the next generation of ship as well. Do you think you can keep people in, inspired? I do wonder if there's no... If there's no human capital in capital involved, I mean the the thing that springs springs to mind for me is that um, I, when, when I grew up, my my best friend's dad worked with Richard Branson on his hot air balloons. He actually he actually died on trying to fix something whilst they were trying to do a um, around the world balloon ride. I think it was. And there's something about the pioneering spirit. You almost need to be putting yourself in harm's way, but the nature of an autonomous ship is you're not putting yourself in harm's way. Do you think Do you think we can keep people's imagination if it is a a robot once the kind of the sort of honeymoon period dies down is that a fair a slightly unfair question but i mean what do you think i don't know i I don't know people seem to like it i mean people are far more interested in it now than i thought they ever would be and i think once we're you know i i I, I, an ibm uh, pr guy said to me once you know i said well we're not going to make it because of covid you know we're going to have to delay and he said, that's fine. You're still going to launch on the 16th. And I said, yes. And he said, well, look, look at it this way. He said, um, people have been phenomenally interested and it's not even in the water. Imagine how much more interested they're going to be when it is in the water. And that same logic applies. Imagine how much more interested people will be when it's out sailing the high seas and sending back data and, and doing research that in other ways would be impossible. So I think we'll be able to hold people's imagination. There is something sure. really nice about ships as well, isn't it? Come back to this idea, this earlier idea of symbols. I mean, it's about even just looking at the launch footage. It, it's really striking. It's The fact that it's just pure white, it's just this single sharp gesture of a vehicle. I mean, it's, it is a beautiful thing. It really stands out. And I mean, that really helps. I mean, do you think, do you think future... Mayflower autonomous ships will become slightly more pragmatic in their design. Maybe more like a workboat. Maybe, maybe even longer and weirder. Looking. Uh, Brett, 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 I have to stop you. You need to keep that kind of Star Trek look because it is really nice. Okay, so don't do something like a brick, please. I won't. Keep, keep your good architect and make it nice and sexy. So you like you like the look of the ship then, Eric? Uh, you know, when I showed the ship in IBM, inside IBM to big bosses, the first response I had, wow, this is looking like a Star Trek vessel. Great. Yep, that was by design. Then then, uh, then, then younger people told me this is like a Ninja Turtle weapon. I didn't think about this, but, you know, like, I, I think that, uh, you know, there will be interest uh, till after the crossing because I'm meeting people, you know, on video calls, and some people told me, oh, no, is this coming to my city, you know, my harbor? You know, are you, are you able to bring it to the Mediterranean Sea? So there will be interest from people just to see it. And uh, I think that something that uh, is going to happen is that the scientists, you know, today, Brett has worked with a limited set of people for the, the science. And IBM research is also part of the, the science experiments on board. I think that the science community is going to realize very soon that this is a very, very good tool. Uh, and uh, I would take uh, as a proof that uh, a day ago I was talking to a, a scientific person on a, another ship project, which is still a project. And the question was, Eric, could we envision a swarm of Mayflowers covering a grid and instead of co- collecting data at one point in the ocean, 
having simultaneous synchronized collecting collection of data on a grid that would be like 10,000 kilometers wide. So, and this was a scientist. So I was thinking, you know, if this guy is starting to elaborate ideas about uh, how to use such a, a tool, uh, there's a good chance other people are going to think about it and come with very, very smart ideas. So final question, do you, do you see this as your legacy? No, no, we'll do spaceship with Brett before. <laughs> oh, I don't know. No. I, I still got, I, I, I don't know, I... I don't think too much about legacy. I got, I've got another project that's coming after this one that's born out of the, the 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 work that we've done here. I've already started planning the next one, the next thing, and I think it'll probably take me ten years to do. So I'm hoping if I get that right, maybe for lack of a better word, it would be my legacy. But uh, I know my children are my legacy, True. so I'm I, I'm perfectly happy. We just need to make regard. sure we leave a planet for them. I guess yeah, that's it. Okay, yeah. on that on that grim note, um, thank you so much for your time. Great, thank you. So thank much. you so much. I'd like to thank Brett and Eric once again for their time. If you want to find out more about this project, search Google for IBM Mayflower Autonomous Ship. For more info or to give us your feedback, go to mas400.com. This podcast was produced by Ben Toland, our engineer was Ariel Sultan, and it was hosted by me, Martin Gooding. It is an IBM production.